My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. In today's solo episode, I am going to be talking about a much requested topic of how to support your body if you want to come off of birth control. But I'm also going to talk about these tips for people that want to stay on birth control because all of these things are things that I wish I would have known about how to support my gut, my liver, my nutritional needs while I was on birth control for at least eight years. My journey with birth control was probably similar to a lot of other women who were put on the pill, and it was basically me going to the doctor, complaining of a symptom. For me, acne was one of my primary symptoms, and for anybody that's ever had acne, I'm sure you understand how uncomfortable it can be to look in the mirror every day and just feel so discouraged about how you look. And it's an area that people are looking at all the time. And I remember being very, very self-conscious about it. So I was willing to try anything. I had been on multiple rounds of antibiotics, which now knowing how bad that was for my gut, taking antibiotics chronically for acne was not a good idea, but it did. It did help my acne I never had irregular periods. I never had really painful periods. I did have some heavy periods in high school, a lot of dietary changes on the off season, being an athlete. Most of the time I had gained a little bit more weight than I was used to. So I think just higher levels of estrogen and poor diet really negatively impact the heaviness of my period, but it was never anything crazy. I never had super bad cramps. These are a lot of the things that most women go to their doctors and say, listen, I'm having these horrible symptoms. And this is typically when they're given birth control. I was also given birth control several years later for my period being missing, which come to find out was really because I was over-exercising and under-fueling. But the doctors didn't assess for that. They just saw no period. We can give you an artificial one with the birth control pill. And the reason I bring this up is because it's really important as women that we understand that the birth control pill, while it is used to prevent pregnancy, it is also commonly used as a band-aid for a lot of the symptoms that we experience related to an underlying imbalance in the body. If you have debilitating, heavy, painful periods, if you have irregular periods, There's usually a reason for that. There's very few reasons why a birth control pill would be an actual solution to that problem. It's often a Band-Aid fix. And I want to be clear, I'm not anti-birth control. I tell this to all of my clients, it is a very personal decision. And for some people, mental health, preventing pregnancy, for them, it might be the right choice at that time. The point here is to just educate you on the fact that the birth control pill is putting synthetic hormones into your body to suppress ovulation and essentially shut down your reproductive system. 
And if you had a problem before going on the birth control pill and then you decide to come off for whatever reason, maybe it's to have children, start a family, then that problem is likely still going to be there. And I think that's why a lot of women are now kind of freaked out to come off of the pill. They're afraid of all these things that could happen. So just understanding how the pill works is that it suppresses ovulation, which is a key moment in a woman's menstrual cycle. It's the opportunity in a menstrual cycle where a woman can conceive, get pregnant, have children. Without ovulation, you are not going to be able to get pregnant. You are also going to have lower progesterone levels because what happens after ovulation is progesterone levels rise. And these, this lack of fluctuation or increase in progesterone can affect so many different things. It can affect your mental health. It can affect your physical health, digestion, you name it. So ovulation is really important and you can still bleed every month and not have ovulation. It's called anovulation. And some of the root causes I see in my practice are stress, low body weight, excessive exercise, abnormalities in thyroid hormones or prolactin, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, these are all reasons why you could not be ovulating each month. And again, ovulation is so important. So ovulation is a key point that happens and birth control shuts that off. So when you decide to come off birth control, if that's something that's important to you, it might be really scary. I have a lot of clients say they're worried about their acne coming back, they're worried about their weight changing, And completely understandable that you're now going to be asking your body to produce hormones on its own, ovulate on its own, and that's a very new experience. For me, I never really paid attention to ovulation. I never knew even what it was. And now that I've been off of birth control so long, it's fascinating to see the things that are happening in my body that never happened while I was on the pill because that ovulation was being suppressed. And I say that as a way to encourage anyone who is a little bit anxious about basically coming off a medication that's been predictable, right? This medication allows a very predictable cycle, very predictable symptoms. And honestly, the human bodies, the female human body especially, is constantly in flux. And When you're not on the birth control pill, you start to notice these changes and you start to notice these shifts. And trust me, I'm a type A person who loves to be in control, especially when it comes to sensations in my body or symptoms. That was probably one of the hardest things for me is now understanding that this pill is not going to be doing all the work for me. I'm going to have to put efforts into A, learning about my body and knowing what's going to change during certain parts of my cycle and learning how to rest when I need to rest and use raspberry leaf tea during the luteal part of my phase and understanding that my sleep is going to be a little bit worse right before my period, adjusting my diet, knowing that constipation might be worse during certain times. So the knowledge is really powerful and that's what I hope this episode can bring you. But if you're out there anxious about the fact that, you know, this is going to be a little bit unpredictable. It might, and that's usually the case, and that's how the female body works is that things are constantly changing, but there is so much you can do, and there is such a beautiful part of the process when you learn about your body, and you can now make these observations and see what's going on, and then, of course, get to the root cause of any imbalances that may have been masked for a long period of time. 
Now, if you know my story with gut health, you know that I've struggled with gut health the majority of my life. And it really wasn't until high school that, and probably more towards the end of high school, moving into college that I started to learn about nutrition because that's what I went to school for. And it started to open my eyes to the many different things that can influence my gut and my entire body, you know, my hormones. And that got me thinking, you know, I'm on birth control. I wonder how that's impacting my digestive health. And I started to pay attention. I was actually using the NuvaRing. I had tried multiple different methods of oral contraceptives, usually having some not so great side effects GI wise. And so I try the NuvaRing and I, I notice that you have to insert it every month And I noticed every month that I inserted it, I would get extreme, extreme bloating to the point where I looked very pregnant in a mirror. But I never really thought anything about it until I started learning about nutrition in the body and started questioning, you know, maybe this is something that is really contributing to my digestive symptoms because I had really put a lot of work into my diet I had worked on my mental health. I had really stopped over-exercising and restricting food. And my gut health still was not optimal. So I worked with a functional medicine doctor, and they said to me, I don't typically work with women who are on oral contraceptives because you can't really see what's going on in the body. You don't get an accurate depiction because you're taking a synthetic hormone that is impacting the symptoms that you're getting. And that made sense to me. And I said, okay, yeah, I'm willing to do anything at this point because this is like the last thing that really hasn't improved for me. And I'm really uncomfortable. So when I came off, my experience may be different than other people's. I actually felt a lot better. Uh, There were some things that got a little bit worse, but I want to point out my mental health was better. I had less mood swings and episodes of feeling really depressed. My digestion got better. I didn't have that extreme bloating every month. And I will also say that my periods were pretty regular. It did take me some time to get my period back coming off of birth control, but they still were able to pick back up and be pretty normal as they were when I was younger. So I want to give you some tips to support your gut and hormones And I also want to just reiterate, there is no shame in the game if you want to stay on birth control. These tips are still going to be very applicable for you. So post-birth control syndrome is a term that some alternative medicine providers use to describe a variety of symptoms that can occur after you stop hormonal birth control. It's not a true formal medical diagnosis, but if you talk to any woman who has come off of the pill, there's often times that they'll complain of things like thinning hair, headaches, their heavy, painful periods come back. A lot of the times it's symptoms that were originally the reason why they went on the birth control pill. And I really think this is why there is so much fear and why I've been getting this question so much about how to support the body coming off the pill, because I think a lot of women have heard stories and they're anticipating some of these things as they come off the pill. Now, the good news is there's a lot of things that we can do to naturally balance our hormones through diet, exercise, lifestyle, and maybe the use of different herbs to help this transition be smoother. And this is why I tell clients that we should start focusing on 
on these things long before you decide to come off the birth control pill. And so even if a client doesn't have a plan to come off the pill, we're still doing all these things to naturally support your hormone balance, which we'll get into. So some other common symptoms that you might expect that maybe they were there before you were on the pill, or maybe these are now new symptoms, but you might experience acne, rosacea, you might even lose your period, like you might not get it back for a while. The first period that you get after coming off the birth control is called a withdrawal bleed, and that is not a true period. That's basically the excess hormone still producing an artificial period after you go off of it. So on average, sometimes it can take women three to six months to get their period back afterwards. You might notice changes in mood, depression, anxiety, um, other mood changes overall because your hormones maybe aren't quite as balanced and they were used to being artificially regulated because you are on those different hormones in a very strict schedule. You might notice changes in your bowel movements. Hair loss is a very common one. I've always had very naturally thin hair ever since I was a little kid. And when I went on the pill, I definitely noticed some thickness along with some weight changes and some of that bloating. But then when I came off of the pill, I definitely noticed my hair kind of going back to baseline. Issues with hair falling out can mean so many things. Hormones dropping that quickly or being imbalanced is definitely one of those root causes, but it can also be related to poor diet. It can be related to malabsorption issues, stress. So there are other reasons why you can lose hair, but if you notice it directly correlated with coming off the pill, that makes sense that you had this big change in hormones. This happens with pregnancy as well. You might notice headaches, heavy or painful periods, irregular periods, and you might also notice migraines. So you have to remember that these drugs are designed to shut down your entire reproductive system. They stop your brain from talking to your ovaries to stop ovulation, which is a good thing because you're usually trying not to get pregnant if you're using these medications. But the trouble is we don't know what the long-term effects of this long-term suppression is. And there's even some evidence showing that side effects begin while on birth control and they don't necessarily go away when you stop. Things like low libido, anxiety, depression, gut symptoms, autoimmune disease, and inflammation. But there's still so much that we don't know. So let's start with dietary recommendations. Number one thing is to understand that the birth control pill actually leads to nutrient depletion. And this is something that's actually been well documented since the 1970s. A study published in 2013 in the European Review for Medical and Pharmacological Science highlighted some of the specific nutrients that were shown to be depleted when patients were taking oral contraceptives. It's not really clear why these nutrient deficiencies happen. Is it that the pill themselves causes some sort of excess depletion, that maybe the body's running through them more. We don't really know the exact mechanism, but nonetheless, it's been shown that the key nutrients for depletion for concern are folic acid, B2, B6, B12, vitamin C, vitamin E, and certain minerals like magnesium, selenium, and zinc. So these nutrients are incredibly important. You may have heard of some of these things, but folic acid is one that really stands out to me, especially when people typically want to come off birth control pills so that they can get pregnant. 
And during pregnancy, folate is incredibly important for preventing a condition called spina bifida, which is a condition that occurs when the spine and the spinal cord don't form properly. It's, it's a type of neural tube defect. And then, of course, we're concerned about depletion with magnesium, which is essential for production of energy in the body and thyroid function, anxiety, B vitamins, which are essential for methylation, specifically B12, vitamin C and E, which are powerful antioxidants, zinc, which is important for our gut lining and our immune system. So it's really important that we understand that these are nutrients that are commonly seen as deficient when patients are taking these medications. So if you are on birth control, right, I always recommend taking a high quality multivitamin or prenatal even that has a lot of these nutrients in higher amounts that may be beneficial given your nutrient status. If you're planning on coming off the pill, think about this ahead of time. Start supplementing with it maybe a month or two before potentially making the transition a little bit easier. Now, vitamins are great, but there's so much that we can do in terms of diet. There's food sources of zinc and selenium and magnesium, these B vitamins, So eating high-quality proteins is going to help you check off the B vitamins, especially B12. So things like chicken, omega-3 fish, vitamin C-rich foods would be kiwis, bell peppers, broccoli. Vitamin E would be things like sunflower seeds, wheat germ, magnesium. We're talking dark chocolate, leafy greens, selenium, two Brazil nuts per day. That's all you need. And then zinc, seafood, shellfish, pumpkin seeds are all great sources of zinc. Another tip to think about when it comes to dietary changes is to make sure that you're eating enough. Now, this might seem really simple when I say it, but a lot of women come to me and they're not eating adequate amounts of food, especially certain macronutrients. So maybe they're not eating enough protein. Maybe they're afraid of carbohydrates. Maybe they heard that fats were bad, whatever it may be. If you're not eating enough, your reproductive system is going to perceive that as a state of stress, and you're not going to have the building blocks that you need to have a healthy reproductive system and healthy menstrual cycle. So make sure that if you are struggling with your relationship with food or have some sort of disordered eating that is holding you back from really properly fueling, that you work with a health professional who can help you work through that. Healthy fats are literally what we make hormones out of, including thyroid hormones. So eat plenty of healthy fats, be generous with them. Avocado, olive oil, nuts, seeds, high fat fish like salmon, mackerel, sardines. Low fat diets will be the worst thing for fertility, hormone balance, thyroid hormones, which play into your menstrual cycle. So all things to keep in mind when it comes to choosing healthy fats. Balance your blood sugar. Having imbalanced blood sugar is a stress to every system in your body. This means you have to eat regular meals and snacks throughout the day. Intermittent fasting is usually not a good choice for women who are in their menstruating years. It's not something that I would typically recommend. So eating every three to four hours is a good general recommendation. Make sure that you're eating breakfast within the first hour of waking up. Don't let coffee be the first thing that touches your stomach, please. It will raise your cortisol levels higher than they should be, setting you up for a roller coaster of hormonal imbalance throughout the day. Especially if you struggle with painful periods, high levels of caffeine 
will, and I'll, I'll actually throw alcohol in here as well, are going to make things much worse for you because they influence the liver and cortisol levels. So reduce them as much as possible. Some supplements that I will commonly use, I mentioned a multivitamin or a prenatal, which can be really helpful for replenishing some of those nutrients that are naturally depleted. Sometimes I'll also suggest an omega-3, considering these are essential fatty acids in the body. We do need them for optimal hormone balance. If you do become pregnant, you need to take a DHA supplement to help with the baby's brain development. A high-quality probiotic can also be really helpful during and after oral contraceptive use. There is some research that shows that taking oral contraceptives or using them can actually increase risk for things like inflammatory bowel disease. And we know that hormones in general and any sort of medication that we're taking that influences the liver and hormone balance is going to have some impact on gut health. And that's why a high quality probiotic can be really beneficial to just support beneficial bacteria, help with regular bowel movements, and also improve symptoms that you might experience like gas, bloating, and indigestion. Ashwagandha is really beneficial for stress, and we have to talk about stress management because stress was a huge part of my journey and an area that I really didn't want to believe was an area that I needed to focus on, but stress can wreak havoc on your hormonal system. When the body is under stress for extended periods of time, it actually works to produce higher levels of cortisol so that you're counteracting the stress effects. And progesterone, the hormone that makes us feel calm, that helps us maintain a pregnancy, that's important in the second half of our cycle, that luteal phase, which helps us maintain that uterine lining so that our second half of our cycle is of adequate length. Progesterone is a precursor to cortisol. This means that progesterone is needed to form cortisol in the body, causing progesterone levels to decrease when cortisol level rises. So if you're stressed all the time, if you're a type A person, even if it's if it's a low-grade stress where you constantly feel like you have to be doing something, maybe you have kids, maybe you're a CEO, maybe you are over-consuming information on social media all the time, all of these things can contribute to stress and lower your progesterone levels and just wreak havoc on your entire hormonal system. So please, please, please prioritize stress management. And if you need help, there are certain herbs. As I mentioned, ashwagandha, this is an ingredient in the stress supplement that I formulated, which can be really helpful for just supporting your body as an adaptogen. That's what adaptogens do. They work with your body to help you handle stress, support immune function, support sleep. And ashwagandha has been a great part of my journey as well as CBD. I talked about prenatal vitamins, but I will share that I've been taking grass-fed liver for several years, and I've really noticed an improvement in my cycles, including less acne, more energy. Um, It's a natural source of a lot of the vitamins that you typically find in a prenatal. So I understand a lot of people are kind of weirded out by taking liver, but just sharing my personal experience on one of the supplements that's helped me along with taking my omega-3, optimizing my vitamin D, and using ashwagandha. Vitamin D is also a really important supplement to take if you are deficient because vitamin D acts like a hormone in the body and is a very common nutrient deficiency. The quality of the food that you eat is also really important. So choosing organic, especially for animal products so that we're avoiding 
added synthetic hormones, looking at choosing full fat dairy instead of low fat for a lot of women, unless you have a condition where maybe you have high cholesterol and it's contraindicated, full fat dairy is a better choice to support hormone balance. Looking at high quality foods, so fruits, vegetables, whole grains, really trying to balance your plate with lots of different colors and reducing processed foods as much as possible. Now, this doesn't mean don't eat chips and don't eat candy. You can't have any sugar. It just means that the majority of the time, your plate should be colorful. It should be nutrient dense. It should hopefully be home cooked as much as you can, because this way you're ensuring that you're getting the highest quality. You're choosing oils to cook with that are less inflammatory, and that's obviously going to support your hormonal system. Moving on to exercise. With exercise, I want you to think of the Goldilocks mindset. When I came off of birth control, I was totally addicted to exercise. I was running 7 to 10 miles every day. I was strength training after running those 7 to 10 miles. Growing up as an athlete, I had no idea how to continue exercising in a healthy way when I got to college. And because I was so used to the structure of team sport, I just assumed that how much I was exercising was fine. And I ended up constantly getting injured. If I wasn't on birth control, honestly, I would not have been getting a period, I can almost assure you. So you really have to go for that Goldilocks mindset. Over-exercise raises cortisol levels, puts stress on your adrenals, and also requires more energy, more food. And if you're not meeting that demand, that's going to suppress your reproductive system and lead to amenorrhea or loss of a period. So no over-exercise. Don't push yourself doing HIIT exercises, intense CrossFit exercises all the time. That doesn't mean don't do them. These exercises can be great. They can be great for your mental and physical health, but over-exercising or pushing yourself to extremes all the time doesn't tell your reproductive system, hey, we're in a really safe environment. Instead, it's saying we've got a lot of inflammation going on all the time. We're not taking rest days and Even if your goal is not to have a baby, your body has a thermostat and it's saying, is my body in a state to bring in a child to this world right now? And if you're over-exercising, the answer is no. So my general recommendation is to strength train two to three days per week and sprinkle in some cardio in there at a level which you feel is healthy for your body. And this can be different for every single person. As a personal trainer and a dietitian, it's really nice that when I work with patients, I can help them lay out a good exercise routine based on their goals, based on what their periods are looking like, and we might even use different types of exercise during certain times of their cycle. This concept is known as cycle syncing, basically cycle syncing your workouts with your menstrual cycle. And the idea of this is that you're adjusting your training and nutrition as well to align with the physiology of the menstrual cycle and each person's individual response to hormones. So Stacey Sims and I actually talked a lot about this in the two previous podcasts about how we have a different autonomic nervous system when progesterone levels are changing, our immune system shifts around ovulation, moving to a more pro-inflammatory response state. So there are advantages of, for example, not pushing yourself during times when your body's more pro-inflammatory or hormones are in a place where really strength isn't the best choice or doing high-intensity exercise isn't the best choice. But I also work with a lot of patients who are 
training, like they're training for an event like a Boston Marathon or CrossFit, you know, competitions. And in those cases, you know, you, you have to stick to your, your schedule. Um, but if we're just talking recreational athletes looking to improve body composition, improve mental health, you know, then cycle syncing might be a great choice. A lot of what I think it's done for women in the field of exercise is giving them permission to take more rest. So not just doing high intensity exercise all the time. I think it it's actually becoming trendy to do more Pilates and slower exercise and women are feeling more empowered to listen to their bodies versus push through what really just doesn't feel good all the time. And so I think that's the biggest message to take away versus feeling like, oh, I have to plan my workouts all along my menstrual cycle. And if I feel good, I still shouldn't do it because I'm in my luteal phase. That's not how we should address cycle syncing. So my general rule of thumb is to incorporate a mix of strength training and cardio. As a personal trainer, I typically will recommend two to three days per week of strength training as a minimum. This is going to help with blood sugar balance. It makes your muscles more sensitive to insulin, so you handle carbohydrates better, which we know that blood sugar balance is really important for hormones. Also excellent for bone health. As women, we have to care about bone health as we get older. It's something that will slowly decline, and resistance training has been scientifically proven to improve bone mineral density. So two to three days of strength training per week. If you're new to strength training, just start with one and you can start with bands, body weight. It doesn't have to be anything super intense, but just make sure that you're working with someone who can really advise you to make sure that form is adequate. And that way you can feel really confident about strength training on your own moving forward. So strength training is really important. And then cardiovascular activity is incredibly beneficial for heart health. It's great for mood. It's great for improving BDNF, which is a compound in the brain that is excellent for memory, cognition, longevity. So incorporating some sort of cardiovascular activity is really beneficial. The amount of cardio will really depend on your individual situation. Again, Goldilocks mindset, you don't want to overdo any type of exercise, but especially cardiovascular activity, I find a lot of women tend to love certain endurance activities, things like running or cycling, and it can be very easy to overdo it. Now, exercise is great. We want to exercise for optimal hormone balance. It helps for so many reasons. But if you are someone who doesn't have a period, especially coming off the pill, maybe you have hypothalamic amenorrhea or you have red S syndrome, in which case we will likely need to omit most exercise temporarily. And in addition to that, we're trying to make sure that your body is also getting enough fuel. So if you're in a state of overexercise, which it has increased nutrient and energy demands while you're also overexercising, this is a state of hormonal imbalance and the body is not going to be happy. Light exercises like yoga, Pilates, walking may be appropriate for these types of clients that I work with just to help maintain their mental health and move their bodies in a way that feels good and builds strength and empowerment. And these exercises are also excellent if you are working on hormone imbalance because they can help with your stress levels. I personally love spending time outside. There's so many benefits to that, including circadian rhythm, which can help with sleep. So getting outside in nature, fresh air, getting sunlight in the morning can have a domino effect on so many other areas of your health, which will therefore support your 
hormone balance. And the last point that I want to make is focusing on liver support. So when you're taking any sort of medication or when we're talking about hormones in general, the liver plays a large role in metabolism, excretion, also dealing with the pills that you are taking. And so the liver takes a lot of burden. And if it's getting a lot of burden from other external sources, things like endocrine disruptors, the type of water that you're drinking, you're drinking alcohol, you're taking other medications, it's important that we give the liver extra love. Yes, the liver detoxes on its own, but oftentimes a little extra support, especially if you're on the pill or if you're coming off of it, can really be beneficial and make the transition much easier. So there are certain things that can help with liver detoxification. There are certain herbs that have been shown in research to support liver detoxification. One of those is milk thistle. Milk thistle contains certain compounds, silmarin and silbin, which possess anti-inflammatory, antioxidant properties, which are beneficial in counteracting any sort of liver damage. Turmeric is one of the most well-researched herbs. It's rich in a compound curcumin, which has shown promise in several meta-analyses for improving metabolic markers, especially in patients who have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Dandelion, usually in tea form, um, animal studies indicate that it can have a significant reduction in liver injury markers and oxidative stress. The taste, I will be honest, is not the most pleasant taste, so you may want to pair it with something like a peppermint or a lemon ginger to help balance out those flavors. Certain foods that are high in sulfur compounds, so sulfur-containing compounds, uh, certain amino acids, are incredibly important in supporting natural liver detoxification. Um, methionine, for example, in fish, egg, sesame seeds is very beneficial for the liver, possibly due to the fact that it has that sulfur metabolism. Other foods that contain sulfur compounds would be onion, broccoli, and things like garlic. There's also certain supplements like N-acetylcysteine, which has been shown in research to really help support liver damage, oxidative stress, increasing nitric oxide, which has also been very beneficial in research to help with fertility, potentially improving rates for miscarriage, really great for patients with PCOS. So you always want to talk to your doctor to see if that would be a good fit for you. Omega-3 fatty acids, which I feel like come up in every conversation, and I've already even previously talked about them in this episode, have been shown in a meta-analysis to improve liver fat and certain enzyme levels in patients who have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, as well as non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. So omega-3s, getting them from food, taking a supplement if you need to, eating sulfur-containing foods, looking at certain herbs like milk thistle, dandelion, turmeric, curcumin, and then optimizing your diet. So making sure that you're getting lots of nuts and seeds, especially things like sunflower seeds, which are rich in vitamin E, and Brazil nuts, which have selenium. All of these antioxidants can help to support combat oxidative stress, and therefore that's just going to be an additional layer of support to naturally detox the liver. And the last system of the body that I want to highlight when it comes to hormone imbalance is to make sure that you're addressing underlying gut imbalances. There are so many important 
aspects of our gut health that can affect hormone levels, including the fact that most of our immune system is there. We need to absorb certain nutrients like zinc and magnesium and vitamin D in order to have healthy hormones. So if the malabsorption is an issue, maybe you have SIBO, maybe you have H. pylori, which is impacting stomach acid levels. All of those things can negatively impact your hormone imbalance. On top of that, if you are having diarrhea or constipation, that will also impact your hormone levels. For example, with constipation, if you're not having daily regular bowel movements, you're not getting rid of excess estrogen and it's just going back into recirculation. And then for diarrhea, we see a lot of malabsorption going on, so you're not going to be absorbing the nutrients that your body needs to support hormones, inflammation, every system in the body. So I use stool testing in my practice, and it's really beneficial to look for underlying root causes, things like candida, leaky gut, H. pylori, to really make sure that we're addressing the gut as a important part of hormonal imbalance. So we've got diet, we've got exercise, stress management, liver support, gut support, and putting effort into each of those areas can really help either the transition of coming off or can help support your body while you're on birth control or oral contraceptives. So I hope this episode was helpful. Like I said, it seems like in the past week I've received at least six direct messages requesting that I talk about this topic, and I was really excited to do so because it wasn't an episode that I really had to prep for because this is something that I've helped so many clients with and an area that I worked a lot on myself. So do me a favor, if whatever platform you're listening to, if you could like, subscribe, download, whatever it is that you can do to help support this channel, really working to put more episodes out each week and doing that really helps motivate me and helps this channel grow so that my message can reach more people. My group coaching program is going to start January 15th, the week of January 15th. So if you're interested in signing up, uh, the pricing of the group coaching program is going to increase after that January 15th group. If you've been waiting to join this group and this is something that you really want to invest in, this January 15th group is going to be incredible. It's always fun starting off the new year on a positive foot. We don't talk about restrictive dieting. We talk about ways to balance your gut health and optimize your hormone balance so that you can feel your best heading into the new year. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out. But as always, share this message with somebody else. Send them this episode if you think it could help. And thanks again so much for tuning in. 